Welcome to this podcast from Riverside Church Whitstable. We hope you find it helpful and encouraging. If you would like to find out more information about us, why not check out our website at riversideuk.org, our Facebook page, or follow us on Twitter at WhitRiverside. What, what an amazing testimony that was. That is so exciting. And I think you guys are a great double act. This is <laughs> unbelievable. Well, this morning we're going to be starting our new three-week mini-series, Looking at Grace. So, over these three weeks, we're going to start today, and I'm going to be looking at what it means for God to be gracious, and how we can receive his grace. I'm going to move this, because I know I move a lot. Um, And then next week, Chris Izzard is going to be talking about a parable told by Jesus that illustrates what grace looks like. And then in two weeks' time, we'll finish this grace series, looking at how we can show others the same grace that God has shown us. And I know we don't always start a series by telling you exactly where we're going and where it's going to end, but I wanted to start by saying that so that we would go on this journey together so that we'd go on this journey of exploring grace and what that means for us together. The aim isn't simply that we get a better understanding of what grace is, a better theology of grace, but that each of us would live in the reality of God's grace. And personally, I'm really looking forward to doing this series because When we understand and journey what it means for God to be the epitome of grace, then and only then are we able to release ourselves to live a life of freedom in Christ. There's a well-known quote about humour. You may have heard this quote before. It says this, humour can be dissected as a frog. But the thing dies in the process, and the innards are discouraging to any but a scientific mind. Something that I'm very aware of as we look at grace together over these three weeks, as we turn our focus towards God's grace, is that we need to guard against dissecting grace so much that it leads to the same end. The same end as when you dissect humour. Because it, it would be fairly easy over these three weeks for us to go about dissecting grace, looking deep into the theology of grace and debating how exactly grace leads us to a specific theory of atonement. See, we could do that quite simply over these three weeks, go deep into the theology And whilst I do want to touch on those things a little bit today as we open up this series, I'm refraining from diving so deep into the theology that I not only uh, send you all to sleep, but that we end up going away knowing loads about grace, but not living in the reality of it. And equally, the aim of looking at grace over these three weeks is, as I said, Not that we'd have a greater understanding of the concept, but that our understanding of grace will lead us to freedom and it will lead us to worship. 
And that is why we want to look at any characteristic of God. It's important, yes, that we know as much as we can about God, but the importance of it is in order that we would go away worshipping him. When we know more of who he is, we go away in worship. When I was studying theology at Bible college, we'd often dissect in great detail characteristics of God, Bible passages, and theological concepts. And to be fair, this was the place to do it. If you can't go deep into these concepts when studying theology, then when can you? But if I'm honest, when I reflect back on my time at Bible college, the result often, when we went so deep into these specific characteristics, was apathy towards those things. You go so deep into it that you turn away forgetting the reality of it. You go so deep into it that you're stuck going deeper and deeper and deeper without actually knowing God more. And in the same way, I think there's a potential when there's a series or anyone is talking about grace. I think there's a potential for us to easily switch off because we're used to this word being thrown about. We're used to the word grace being thrown about in Christian circles to describe God. And and I guess we know what it means. We kind of feel like we know what it means and we know that it has an impact on our relationships, our relationship with God. We know that it has an impact on who we are and we know that it's such a big impact. But I think it's easy to lose the wonder of grace. I think it's easy to lose the wonder of grace. We hear it so much, we feel like we understand it, we know how radical it is, but we almost can fall out of love with it. Because we hear it so much, we can almost fall out of love with what it means for God to be grace. I don't know, maybe it's just me that does that, but I really like in this series that for God to remind us really what it means to live in that reality of grace. Really what it means to live in the freedom that God, God's grace brings. And I want him to remind us that it is only through God's grace that we can have relationship with him. It's only through God's grace that ultimately we are saved. So all this to say, a bit of a caveat at the start of this series, try not to switch off because you feel like you know it already. God still wants to reveal to us, to each of us here in the room, the wonder of his grace. God wants to reveal to us, he wants to give us a fresh revelation of how great his love is and how great it is that we can receive his grace. And especially today, as we are going to start by looking at it slightly more in an academic uh, way, Let's steer away from trying to just hear it academically. Because, yes, we want to grow in understanding of who God is. But ultimately, we want our understanding to lead us to worship. So I want to pray now that he speaks to us as we dive deeper into what it is to receive God's grace. So will you pray with me? God, thank you that you are so good. Thank you that your grace is so good. And thank you that we can study who you are because you are so great. 
And thank you that we can dive deep into who you are and as we do so, fall more in love with you. And Lord, I just pray this morning that you'll give us this fresh revelation, that we'll know more of who you are and that we'll love you more as we look at your grace together. Amen. So in the Old Testament, God is often described as this, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, overflowing with loyal love and faithfulness. So what were the Old Testament writers meaning when they referred to God as gracious? Well, the word in the Old Testament that is translated in our Bibles to grace, what we read as grace, what that original word was in Hebrew is a word called chen. So when we read uh, God being described as gracious in the Old Testament, they're using this Hebrew noun chen. And to get more specific of what that actually means, chen can be translated to either delightful or favour. And the noun is used to describe a gift. So chen, or when we read grace, means this, a gift of favour motivated by delight. Grace is a gift of favour motivated by delight. And I'm going to come back to this definition again a little later, but I wish we used this definition slightly more, because I think we can get tired of hearing grace and forget the meaning. But what this says, and something that I think we can often miss when we look at God's grace, is that it's a gift of favour motivated by delight. God gives his grace delightfully to us. But like I said, we'll come back to that in a little bit. And the most extreme moments of hen in the Bible is when those who receive it don't deserve it. Throughout the Bible, we see constantly God gifts uh, his hen to those whose past wrongdoings suggest that they should never be used by God. In fact, God, through his grace, through his hen, used people who, what they were doing currently, suggests they shouldn't be used by God. Abraham committed adultery. Moses murdered. King David also committed adultery. Peter denied knowing him. And Paul actively pursued and killed Christians. And that's just some of the highlights of some of the key figures that God used. And in the Old Testament, God uh, rescues Israel from Egyptian slavery. And then before long... The same people that were rescued from slavery, these Israelites, began to worship a golden calf. But Moses, the leader of the Israelites, oh, and also that murderer that I was just talking about, comes before God and says, God, will you give us your hen? Will you give us your favour? Will you give us your grace? And in other words, what Moses is saying is, God, I know you've already led us out of slavery and we've kind of turned our back on you already. But, God, please, can we still have your favour? 
And God shows an ultimate act of Chen. He says, your sins are forgiven and I will be with you always. He gives them forgiveness and promises to be with them. They didn't deserve it. They'd abandoned God. They turned their back on him, yet God gave them grace, which is not only his forgiveness, but his favour. And then if we skip a few books in the Old Testament, we see a prophecy in the book of Isaiah that looks back at the hen, the grace shown by God to Israel. And it says this, in the past, God, you showed your grace to Israel in amazing ways. But I'm going to tell you in the future, in the future, God's grace is going to do something far greater. God's grace is going to deliver Israel and all of creation from death and ruin. It's it's almost as this prophet is saying that God's grace towards Israel is simply there to foreshadow the main event, the moment where God's chen will be brought to completion. And even after this moment uh, in Israel, after God gave them all these things, said that they're forgiven and gave them his favour, things were really difficult for the Israelites. They continued to turn their back on God. So God, through his grace, did some things. He gave them the law and said, if you follow this, you will be able to uh, come into relationship with me. You'll be able to have relationship with me. You'll be able to keep yourself clean and have relationship with a holy God. And he gave them the tabernacle and said, I'm going to dwell in the holy of holies in the tabernacle so that you can have this uh, relationship with me. But eventually they struggled to follow this. They struggled to follow this law that was given to them. So God gave them another act of grace. He gave them a symbolic ritual called animal sacrifices. And this was there to help remind them the seriousness of sin. The consequence of sin was death. And it covered their ongoing sinful actions. So animal sacrifice was an act of hen, an act of grace, where God said, uh, out of love, God said, I will give you a way that you can approach me even in the midst of your sinfulness. An innocent animal would become the scapegoat of their actions. The animal would become the atonement, which literally means would cover their death. But the problem is, Israel started to see this as an easy way out. It was an easy way out. They said, I can sin, I can do wrong, I can do whatever I want, as much as I like, as long as I then kill this animal. So they got to this place where even this act of grace, they were turning their back from. They were using it for their own, to to continue sinning, to continue doing wrong. And for Israel and all of creation to be freed from this, to be freed from their sin, there needed to be a greater act of chen, as foreshadowed in this prophecy in Isaiah 
that I talked about. They needed a once and for all atonement. And God in his grace, in his head, took it upon himself to come to earth as uh, in human form, to live as this second Adam, as the take two of humanity, of doing life how it was supposed to be done, living this life, and then had the death that the sinful man and woman deserves. He became hen. God became the gift of favour, motivated by delight. And in his grace, God atoned, he covered over humanity's death. Now, there's quite a few different theological theories to how this atonement took place in Jesus's death and resurrection. But the bottom line is this. The cross is the greatest act of hen in history. And the only atonement theology we really need is that when he died on the cross and rose again, there was an at one meant. There was a moment where we came at one, where we came back to being one with God. A moment on the cross where Jesus covered our death, the penalty for sin, and brought us back to being at one with God. See, whereas the sinless animal was able to cover over sin, the sinless man removed our sin from us. As far as the east is from the west, it says in the Bible. And as I said, I could go through all these uh, theological theories of atonement, the different theological approaches as to how Jesus' death and resurrection really did cover ours. But I think what would be more helpful would be to look today at what it means for us to receive God's grace. And as I was writing this talk, I was reflecting on the different aspects of God's grace and how it affects us. And until, fri- until Friday, my plan this morning was to go really deep into the theology, to look at atonement, to look at why God's, uh, Jesus' death and resurrection has covered ours. But then on Friday, I felt a nudge in my spirit. And it was a little thought that came out of nowhere, a change of direction for this morning, something that I believe that God is wanting to speak to us about today. And it was this. Grace is more than simply forgiveness. When God gives us his grace, three things happen. This is what I felt God say to me. When, when I give you grace, you are forgiven, you belong, and you are made beautiful. When I give you my grace, you are forgiven, you belong, and you are made beautiful. So I feel it's only right this morning that we follow what I believe God is leading us to look at. And look at what this really means for us. 
What does it really mean to be forgiven by God? What does it really mean for us to belong? And what does it really mean for us to be made beautiful? So let's focus on these three things as we work out what it looks like to receive God's grace. Firstly, we are forgiven. One of the main reasons this morning that I wanted to start by explaining a little bit then about animal sacrifices in the Old Testament was to give a little bit of context of what God's grace looks like. The bigger narrative, the larger story of God's grace. See, the sacrificial system was highly symbolic. It reminded the followers of Jesus that the wages of sin was death, The wages of turning um, our back on God was death. That our brokenness kept us from God. And that we needed to be cleansed in order to be brought back into relationship with him. But through God's grace, this symbolic action, this animal sacrifice, not only reminded them of the seriousness of sin, but it also covered over their sin. In fact, the sin of the person was transferred onto the animal. As I said, the animal became the scapegoat. I don't know what your favourite food is, but for me, I absolutely love a big, juicy burger. If I can double it up, I will. And if I can put all the sauce and all the cheese and everything possible in my burger, then perfect. The problem is, I'm a fairly messy eater. So if I ever get this big, juicy burger, full of all the juices, full of all the sauces, doubled up, tripled up, whatever I can do, then I know something's going to happen. By the time I finish my dinner, the top that I'm wearing is going to be a different colour. So inevitably, what would happen after I've eaten my food is my top will be thrown in the wash. But there's a problem. The problem with doing the laundry is that no one has yet invented a way to not only clean my top, but to make it unstainable. No one has created a product yet that would clean my top and ensure that it would never get dirty again. If someone wants to uh, invent that product, that would be really, really helpful. But what happens is every time I spill my food on it, I'm back in this cycle. Wear it, stain it, wash it, repeat. This is the cycle of my clothes when I'm wearing anything that I want to have my big juicy burger in. And this was a bit like what was happening with this sacrificial system. Their dirty laundry was washed clean, but then they put their clothes back on and it got dirty again. But in Jesus' life, death and resurrection, he offers a new product. A product that not only washes clean all of our past wrongdoings, but it says this, hey, I know you're still going to make a mess. I know you're going to make a mess again in the future. I know you're going to spill that burger over your top again. But guess what? By my grace, 
even though you will spill your food, that food will no longer stain you. Even though you will still spill that burger on yourself, it's just going to slide off. That burger will no longer stain you. I've already washed you clean. You were forgiven for everything in the past, but you're also forgiven for what you are going to do in the future. And what this means is that we don't need to live in fear of messing up. We can live in thanksgiving for the grace of God that he has already covered it. C.S. Lewis once walked into a room that was having a bit of a debate. There's a debate in the room. What is it about Christianity that is different from any other major religion? And he interrupted. He walked in, he interrupted, and he said this. That is easy. The answer is grace. In every other major religion, there's something to do with what we do. It's down to something we do. But in Christianity, it's down to what God has already done. The grace of God is not an invitation to live however we want and then ask for forgiveness later. It's in fact the opposite. It's an invitation to live a life reflecting the radical grace that God has given us to those people around us. It's an invitation to reflect a life of grace. And I want to go back to that definition. God gives his grace, his favour, delightfully. His grace is motivated by delight. And I think there are people here this morning that need to hear this message. That God's grace is motivated by delight. He doesn't forgive us with a stern look and a shake of the head. But he forgives us with an embrace and a soft voice. He doesn't forgive us with a, what are you doing? I guess I'm going to have to forgive you again. I'm so disappointed in you. He forgives us with an embrace and a soft voice. The second consequence of God's grace is, by God's grace, you belong. By God's grace, we belong. Grace means there is nothing that we can do to make God love us more. No spiritual awakening, no amount of knowledge of the Bible, no amount of effort can make God love us more. And grace also means there's nothing that you can do to make God love you less. Grace means that God loves us as much as infinitely possible. Grace is not a is Grace is not a wage, it's a gift. Grace is not a wage, it's a gift. And the narrative of the Bible is this. God created humanity, but humanity chose to live their own way without God. We turned our back on God and distanced ourselves from him. 
And God continued to look for relationship with us. But over and over again, we turned as humanity, our backs on him, and built a barrier between us and a holy God. We built a barrier between the sinful man and woman and a holy God. But on the cross, Jesus smashed down that barrier. He said there's no longer a barrier between the sinful man and the uh, righteous, holy God. The cross brought us back into relationship with God by his chen, by his grace. And in Corinthians 2, verse 6, we are called co-workers with Christ. And we're called sons and daughters of God. Romans 8 goes a step further and says this. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we're children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in the sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. By God's grace, we become part of his family. We become co-heirs with Jesus. What belongs to Jesus also belongs to us by his spirit through his grace. Through God's grace, you belong. You have a home. You have a family. You have an inheritance. And not only has God forgiven you by his grace, but he's adopted you by his grace. Finally, God's grace means that we are made beautiful. I loved my time at wildfires this year. Time in God's presence, the community, the teaching, the worship, it was great. However, there was a moment that really grated with me. During one of the worship sets, a new song was introduced. And this song spoke about our inheritance as followers of Jesus. Great, you might be thinking. Jake just spoke about how we're heirs to the kingdom of God, that we share Jesus' inheritance. The problem is, I think this song totally missed the point of grace. The song's general point was this. We, as children of God, can step into our inheritance, which is a life without mental health challenges. And I have to admit, I have no idea where they got this idea from. I have no idea where they got this idea from, because it certainly is not the Bible. Throughout the Bible, we see people struggle. We see people struggle in all sorts of ways, physically and mentally. Throughout the Bible, we see people have a really tough time. They go through a lot. And God's grace doesn't say, you're never going to go through that. God's grace does not say that. Sometimes there is healing 
And it's amazing when there is healing, but sometimes there's not physical or the healing that we want. God's grace does not lead us into a life without struggles or challenges, but God's grace says something. God's grace says to us, even in your challenges, I am with you, I am for you, and I call you beautiful. Even in your challenges, I am with you, I am for you, and I call you beautiful. See, God does not label us by our sin or our challenges, our struggles with our health, our struggles with our mental health. But he labels you beautiful. In Isaiah 61, it says that God wants to bestow on the grieving and brokenhearted a crown of beauty rather than a crown of ashes. God says, I want to give you a crown of beauty. I call you beautiful. Even in the midst of struggles, in the midst of challenges, in the midst of sin, in the midst of brokenness, I label you a son and daughter and I label you beautiful. So by God's grace, by God's grace, he forgives you. He says you belong and he calls you beautiful. And I think the church has, as a whole in the past, we've focused really well on forgiveness. We've focused really well on what it means to be forgiven by God. And whilst that's a really hard thing to accept forgiveness and to forgive ourselves and to forgive others, I think we've heard it. We've heard about it a lot. We've heard about what it looks like to be forgiven by God. And many of us here today might just be able to accept that God forgives us. We might be able to accept that God has forgiven us for the things that we have done. But what I believe God is wanting to say this morning is that not only does he forgive you, but he says you belong and you are made beautiful. And I get the sense this morning that God's Wanting for us to know this true meaning of chen. That God gives you his grace delightfully. I get a sense that there's one or two people here that when that was said, when it was said that God's grace is given delightfully, that that really landed. It almost jarred. It landed, but it almost jarred. That before there was an understanding of grace that God has given his grace and still loves me and forgives me. But he does it as a little bit of a disappointed, uh, in a disappointed sense. A little bit of a, I forgive you, but come on. I forgive you, but get your act together. I forgive you, but I'm disappointed in you. And I feel like what God's wanting to say this morning is that is not at all his approach to giving you grace. Because when they talk about chen in the Bible, it says that it's a gift of favour given delightfully. And I really believe that God's wanting to land that in the hearts of us this morning. His grace is given delightfully. He not only forgives us, but he also says you belong and you are made beautiful. Let me pray.
Father, thank you that your grace is so great. Lord, we often limit your grace almost. We often put boundaries on your grace. But Lord, may it help us to understand what it truly means to receive your grace. Lord, those in the room that have struggled to forgive themselves, to forgive others, would that reality hit home that you give them grace delightfully? Would the reality hit home that they belong, that they're made beautiful in your name? Thank you, God, that you are so loving. Thank you, God, that you are so kind. And thank you, God, that you are for us. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you would like to contact us about this talk, to hear more or to find out about Riverside Church Whitstable, then visit our website at riversideuk.org. Also, you can contact us through our Facebook page or tweet us at Whit Riverside.